Hi, and welcome to the Life Source Christian Church Audio Lounge with Senior Ministers John and Anne Juliano. Have you ever wondered about how to better connect with God? Well, that's exactly what we're going to help you with in this week's show, where you'll learn how to more fully love God, grow spiritually, and help others. Okay, let's get into the Promised Land series. So, um... This is the last of the seven giants is today. And next Sunday is the wrap-up and then we finish the Promised Land series. So um, we've been looking at the giants that the children of Israel had to conquer in order to possess the Promised Land. And it was just such a big deal because God said, "He's the land flowing with milk and honey. It's all the promises. It's this wonderful life that I want to give you. There's only one problem. There are giants between you and the promises of God. And this is where a lot of people just pull their hair up, give up and say, no, I want to confess it and possess it. I want to blab it and grab it rather than I want to fight. I don't want to fight. I don't, I, I don't want to battle any giants. Well, this was... What happened to the first generation when they got to Kadesh Barnea, they saw the promised land. But between them and the promised land were the giants and they backed away and they died in the wilderness. As Michael so aptly said, 40 years. I'm so glad you didn't have to wait 40 years, Michael. And, uh, but this is now the second generation. And so uh, Moses is speaking to the second generation and saying, come on, the land is still there for you to possess. But you've got to defeat these giants, these seven giants that stand in front of you, these seven nations, these seven spirits. And uh, it's found in Deuteronomy chapter 7, Moses speaking to to the second generation and says, When the Lord your God brings you into the land which you go to possess and has cast out many nations before you, the Hittites and the Girgashites and the Amorites and the Canaanites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites, Seven nations greater and mighty than you. And when the Lord your God delivers them into you, over to you, you shall conquer them and utterly destroy them. You shall make no covenant with them, nor show mercy to them. And, and God speaks to them very clearly about having to defeat these giants. And over the last few weeks, we've seen how the Hittites represent the giant of fear that stands before us and the promises of God. How many times have you been afraid of something? Or how many times has this Hittite spirit come and caused fear to rise up in your heart? Um, And we saw how to overcome fear. The Girgashite spirit is, uh, the Girgashites come from the, the, the people that dwell in the black mud. And so we had to look at, we have to overcome this giant of worldliness and how important it is that we become people of God that love purity, not the black mud of this world. Then we saw how they had to overcome the Amorites. The Amorites were dwellers of the high country. And that represents the giant of pride. And how big is this giant that wants to impact our life? And we overcome pride with humility. Then we had a look at Canaanites. And Canaanites were the traders, the merchants. And these were the lovers of materialism and we saw how materialism is also a giant that we have to overcome we do that just by becoming generous people then we looked at the parasites which are the people that are unwalled so there's no boundaries and so these are the people that don't know right from wrong and so they're just rebellious they don't know what god says where the line is and and so they just live in rebellion all the time and then last week we had a look at the hivites and the Hivites are those that are called villagers. They actually live in, 
inside a small walled village. And this is the giant of confinement that wants to confine us from moving forward, just to keep us in our nice little comfort zone and uh, how the anointing helps us break the yoke. Well, this week we're looking at the Jebusites and the giant of the Jebusites. And if you look at the root word of uh, Jebusite, the root word comes from a word that means to tread down, to trample, to grind, to squash. And this is exactly what the spirit of discouragement does. It treads you down. It tramples you. It grinds you. It squashes you into the ground. What an incredible spirit this is, the spirit of discouragement. The spirit that creates inferiority and depression and low self-esteem. And maybe today you've been attacked by this spirit. Maybe you've come here today and you're discouraged. Or maybe you're feeling inferior. Or maybe you're feeling that everybody around you is being blessed of God, but not you. That's the spirit of discouragement. You know, when I was in, in, in Bible school, I was told very clearly, John, beware of the girls, the gold, and the glory. The three Gs. The girls, the gold, and the glory. Because they're the three things that bring down pastors. And so be very, very careful. Of the girls, the gold, and the glory. And so we, we, we sort of got that into our spirits. Yeah, we've got to be careful of the girls, the gold, the glory, the pride, the aspect of it. But recently, not recently, maybe 10 years ago, um, John Mark Ministries did a survey of 14,000. Everybody say 14,000. Of people in Australia who were once in ministry... And found that these 14,000 people that had gone to Bible school, prepared themselves for ministry, were no longer in ministry. They did a survey to find out, well, why are you no longer in ministry? And they found that by far the majority were not out of ministry because of the girls, the gold and the glory. They found that 80% of people who were no longer in ministry were no longer there because of discouragement. This giant of discouragement has literally destroyed more ministry than any other giant. It's, and and the, the reason for it is that this giant is incredibly subtle. It sneaks up on you. The other giants, they stand in front of you and just say, you won't get past me. Arr! This one sort of sneaks up behind you with, with a, a whisper in your ear. And says to you, you're pretty hopeless, aren't you? And you think, yeah, yeah, I think I am. You know, people are laughing at you. You know that, don't you? No, you're not laughing about my stripes here, are you? <laughs> huh? Huh? What do you think? Is it stylish or what? Actually, 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 Aaron dared me. He says, come on, I dare you to wear them on Sunday. So, uh, so this is... <laughs> Uh, he said, I, I, "He says I wouldn't be able to. I wouldn't be able to carry it, but maybe you would, Pastor John." So he actually challenged and dared at the same time. <laughs> so uh, here we go. So, so paranoia, where you're, you know, what are they thinking? What are they saying? Um, this giant it creeps up on you. See, see, the, the thing is this that 
my culture, my Italian culture, as with so many of you that are Asians, actually have this giant that's in your culture. So the Italians call this giant bella figura. The Asians call it shame. And so what happens is that you have to go through life. In Italian, it's bella figura, making a good impression. You've got to make a good impression. And so your family's honor is at stake. And so what happens is that you become manipulated by, by shame or bella figura. And this giant works there and it's just manipulating, controlling. And, and if ever you don't comply to the standard, this giant roars at you. See, you've shamed your family. See, you are hopeless. See, you are useless. And you start to slink back. And, and so this is what happens with, with people, when they get caught in this situation, there's one of three responses. For some people, they want to fight their way out of it. They become aggressive. You, you, you know, you're touching me, man, I'll just... And they hit out and they become angry people. For other people, it's, it's not the fight response, it's the flight. They just back away, they run away. They just run away and they hide and it's the flight. And then for other people, they just freeze. So it's not just fight or flight. The third response is where you freeze and you just don't do anything. You sit there and, and your response is, is freeze. And, and this is what happens with this giant. It just wants to control. It wants to manipulate you. Can I tell you that when I was growing up as a teenager in Australia, this was my biggest giant. This was, for me, my biggest giant. And, uh, you know, when you're, when you're a migrant kid in Australia... Back when I was a teenager, um, you kind of didn't feel that you fitted in. And so you'd hear words like Dago, Wog, Spick, you know, uh, just all the rest of the stuff. And, you know, we, we've got this thing about bullying. My goodness gracious me, I grew up in the era of bullying. Huh? Uh, you know, fair income, you know, they hurt my feelings. Man, every single day hurt my feelings. I, I, had, I remember in high school this one day, this, I was maybe you know, in first or second year, which would have been maybe year seven or year, year eight, might have been probably year seven. This big kid sat next to me on the bus and he was just staring at me, staring at me. And then he works up this great big thing in his throat and spits in my face and says, I hate you. Talk about being bullied. And, uh, and, and you just don't know what to do in a scenario like that. And you just, it just gets into your spirit. And you kind of feel inferior. And so this giant just wanted to manipulate. Why? Because it knew that God had purpose and destiny for my life. And if it could wound me and keep me down. You know, I was telling this story a few years ago in our church. And, and, and one, one of our brethren came up to me after the service and said, Pastor John, do you know where these boys live today? <laughs> and I said, no, I've forgiven them. Okay, we're not going to have any vendettas. It's all, it's all, because we can fix them, you know. <laughs> that was the early 70s. I mean, there's been a, a lot of water under the bridge since then, baby. But the point that I'm making is this, is that this giant just wants to manipulate and dominate. And you've got to do something about it. You can't let it intimidate. Can I give you five, five things that cause discouragement? Five things. Number one, fatigue. 
this, this is a subtle one because you can grow weary in doing good. And this is what Galatians chapter 6, verse 9 says. Don't grow weary while doing good. Because in growing weary, you become discouraged. And, and I really believe that this is what happened to Elijah. Remember the story of Elijah and the prophets of Baal? Where he had this incredible victory where fire came down from heaven. But then what happened? Jezebel got upset with him. He got tired and weary and just said, I want to finish it all. I, I just want out of here. And sometimes we actually get discouraged by doing good. Can I just say, here it is. The solution to growing weary, just be kind to yourself. Turn to the person next to you and say, be kind to yourself. Take some time off. You know, be relaxed. Come on. Do something that's, that's, that's good for your soul. That's good for your soul. 22 years ago, I discovered that what's good for my soul is to get myself a convertible. Now, let me tell you, I struggled with that. Why? Because pastors shouldn't drive convertibles. What's the deal? Well, the deal is that it was good for my soul. On a sunny day to pull the roof down, turn the music up and cruise the beaches. I just felt like a million dollars. I just felt like just, just re-energized. And, and I thought... Do you know what? I live on the North Shore. Everybody's got a convertible on the North Shore. I'd come out of Campbelltown. Campbelltown, that was a big deal. Surely, pastors can't do But on the North Shore, it's cool. It's okay. It's fine. Now, I've got a motorbike as well. So why, why do you run? Because it just restores my soul. And you've got to be kind to yourself and find things that restore your soul. If you're just busy, 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 working, 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 you will grow weary and the enemy can come in and discourage you while doing good things. Here's another thing that causes discouragement is failure. failure. Everybody say failure. If you've lived, you've failed. The only people that don't fail are the people that die at birth. You know, just basically. But what we've got to do is redefine failure. So this morning, I want to redefine failure. Okay, F-A-L, fail, stands for first attempt in learning. Because I find with me that you relate better to my fails than my successes. If I stand here and tell you how successful I am, Pastor John has done this, that, and the other, you just tune out. But when I say, hey, can I tell you some of the things that I failed at? Oh, man, now you are leaning in, baby. <laughs> tell me more. <laughs> I'm really interested in that. And, 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 and what happens is that I actually use my failures to teach you success principles. But I had to pay the price for the failure. I had to pay the price. And so what happens is this, is that you don't allow your past failures to define you. Come on. I want to say it again. Don't allow your past failures to define you. They're learning experiences to make you a better person so your future is filled with so much success that it's actually built on the failure of the past. So it shouldn't define you. It should actually help you make a better person. But what the enemy, what this giant does, it just says, see, see, I'll use the failure against you. 
This is, this is who you are. You're just a failure. You can't make it work. You can't make it work. You can't make it work. You wouldn't believe. You know, I mean, most of you know that, that um, um, one of our children is a prodigal. And you would not believe how the enemy wants to use that against me. How can you preach to others when you've got a prodigal? How can you teach parenting? How can you, how can you stand in front of people and tell them that this works when you've got a prodigal? Fact is, he didn't become a prodigal until he was 18 years of age. He didn't become a prodigal until he made his own choices. In the meantime... What happens is that the enemy uses it constantly as a source of discouragement. A source of discouragement. And then, and then I discovered um, on YouTube, one of, one, one of the... I mean, Anne and I cried when we listened to this story. And one of my favorite preachers in the world is T.D. Jakes. How many of you think T.D. Jakes is an awesome preacher? And so you can, you can YouTube this. He's, uh, he's at home with his wife and... His 13-year-old daughter walks in the room and his 13-year-old daughter says, Mum and Dad, I've got something to say to you. He says, what, sweetheart? She says, I'm pregnant. How would you feel if your 13-year-old daughter and your T.D. Jakes, the pastor to presidents, the most popular televangelist and preacher in America, and your 13-year-old daughter comes and says, I'm pregnant. He says he went through two weeks of total, complete depression. Then it started to click into gear. You know what? There's nothing I can change about this in the past, but how I deal with it becomes a learning for everybody. And so God turned the whole thing around. God turned the whole thing around. And now father and daughter are able to use what was back then a disaster, as an incredible testimony of God's restoration power. So God used a failure and turned it around. Not only that, but it's like, you know what? If T.D. Jakes can have a 13-year-old daughter that becomes pregnant, there's hope for me. Hello? Do you know what I'm saying? Is that failure is the enemy's curse to try to block you in and discourage you and tell you you'll never rise up again. You'll never amount to anything again. Whereas God can turn your failure around. He is the great God of the turnaround. Everybody says he's the God of the turnaround. I love that. He's, oh wow, I better get through this. My, I'm not even a quarter of the way through my message. Fatigue, failure, factions. Factions is another way that discouragement comes. And I hate factions. See, I'm a peace lover. Man, you know, I'm Italian and the Italians love the gondola. I just love the gondola, just going through life, no waves, just, I love that. But how many of you know that sometimes factions will arise? There's fights, there's disunity, there's division, there's conflict. My goodness, conflict is part (coughs) of life. And, and you've just got to understand that faction. Some people love a good conflict. How many of you know people, they thrive on conflict. They actually go looking for it. Huh? So how many of you, don't put up your hand if you're married to someone like that. They're just always itching for a fight. And the other person just back away slowly. Whatever you want, sweetheart, whatever. Just leave me alone. I'll just <laughs> shut up shop. Bang. 
speak to the hand because nobody's at home, you know. And other people, man, they just love, oh, yeah, come on, put them up. Yeah, you want to give that? Bang, bang, let me give you some more. Factions create for certain personality types a lot. I was talking to a friend of mine. He's got a church of maybe 5,000 people. He says, the only thing that gets to me are the staff issues. He says, when there's division in the staff, he says, I just can't handle that. Everything else is a breeze except for the staff issues and the factions that happen within the staff. But you know what? The enemy uses it as a source to bring discouragement. And so many people have quit because of discouragement. Here's another one, fears. What people think about you is a fear. Uh, you know, what, what lies ahead. And fear, again, is just this false evidence appearing real. That's what fear is, false evidence appearing real. And the enemy uses fear to discourage you and stop you moving forward. Oh, no, you can never do that. That'll fail. Why? Because it's connected to the failures of the past. And so fear and failure work together, especially if there's failure in your past. And the enemy uses to discourage you. And the fifth, the fifth thing that creates discouragement is feelings. Everybody say, feelings. <laughs> you know the song, don't you? But feelings, oh my goodness, the emotions of our lives are all affected by the words that people say. You know, what, what people think about you and, oh my goodness, he didn't talk to me, therefore he's offended with me and my feelings got hurt. Oh by, my goodness, how, how, how terrible are the feelings that are controlled by others? Can I just say to you that in life there will always be critics you can never please everybody. Everybody put your hand on your heart and say, I can never please everybody. And I'm okay with that. So don't be controlled by people's critical aspects of you. What you've got to keep your ears open for is what God thinks about you. Who does God say you are? Who does God say you are? Who does God say you are? I'm a child of God, not a slave to sin. Who does God say you are? Because everybody has an opinion. And so if you try to make everybody happy, you'll make yourself incredibly miserable. Your focus in life is make God happy. And if you make God happy, the rest will take care of themselves. Have you got this? So important that you don't get discouraged by, by, by having people, oh my goodness, you know, Anne and I wake up every single day to bless people. We wake up every single day and all we want to do is to help people. We just want to help you. We, we want to bless you. We want to make your life a better life. That's my whole goal is being a pastor. How can I make your life a better life? How can I put truth into you to make you a bigger person, a better person? You know what? I say sometimes things that offend people. And they say, we're never going back to life source again. Well, you know, I can't control that. But what the enemy wants to do is use that as discouragement. As use that as discouragement. You know, I got an email the other day. Someone was, was offended. They want to leave the church. And, and they emailed not only me, but they emailed half the church with all, all of the list of their offenses. And, and it was just, it was like, why would you do that? But anyway, we, we, I thought, you know what? I can let this discourage me or I can not let this discourage me. And I decided I'm not going to let it discourage me. And so the first response is, oh, yeah, you want to hit me? Let me hit you. No, that wasn't even a response at all. Let's bless him. Let's just, let's just be nice to him. And maybe one day 
he'll wake up to what's going on and uh, there's still a seat with his name on it here. The doors are still open. And, you know, to be gracious is always, is always much better than being nasty. How many of you can say amen to that? And then you've got to work out that some people are going through their own issues. And so don't let someone else's issue become your issue. You know, don't, let, don't, don't open the door to everybody's issues then all of a sudden everybody's issues becomes your issue because you've opened the door. Because the enemy loves that through discouragement. says, you've got to fix up everybody. I can't fix everybody. I can help everybody, but I can't fix everybody. And so don't let that discourage you. Amen? So what are five things that cause discouragement? Fatigue, failure, factions, fears, feelings. How do you overcome discouragement? Okay, here it is. You want to overcome discouragement? What you need is encouragement. Everybody say encouragement. What discouragement does, it removes courage. It removes strength. What encouragement does, it adds courage. It adds strength. So what are you going to be? Are you going to be the person that removes courage? Or are you going to be the person that gives courage? Come on, give me an answer. Gives. That's exactly right. See, you're the church of God. You're the people of God. But let, let me give you the greatest source of encouragement that I know. It's called the Bible. You want to be encouraged? Open up the Bible. Start reading the Bible. You know, I, I'm looking across this, this auditorium and I'm seeing people that are discouraged because their business isn't going well. Well, you know what? Can I just prophesy into you and say this? That's only a temporary situation. Yeah. Oh, come on. I'm going to say it again. Some of you are sitting there this morning and your business isn't going well and you're feeling discouraged. I'm prophesying over you. Are you ready for this? Get ready to receive it. Write it down. Put it on a wall something. What we're going through is temporary. It's not permanent. It's temporary. It's not permanent. It's temporary. It's not permanent. Because the enemy wants to discourage you and say, the end is near. You're going to lose everything. You're going to lose all that you've spent your whole life building. No. Rebuke it and say, no, this is temporary. It's not permanent. God's going to turn it around. God's going to turn it around. God's going to turn it around. Turn to the person next to you and say, God's going to turn it around. And you say, how do you know that? Because I just know the covenant names of God. Maybe this is the next series that we're going to do. It's called the covenant. This is my wife's been at me, I think, for 20 years saying, you need to preach on the covenant names of God. She first heard me preach on the covenant names of God in 1984 and has never forgotten it. And then we went to a funeral on Thursday for Tony Butterworth. And there was a couple at the funeral that heard me do this the covenant names of God back in 1984. And they said to me, they said, that series changed my life. We have never been the same since. And we still talk about it to this day. I thought, wow, I better go and listen to it myself. See if I can get myself blessed and encouraged. But let, 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 let me just give you a quick summary of, of the whole series. Jehovah Jireh. Who knows what Jehovah Jireh means? My provider. It's a covenant name. In other words, God makes covenant. He makes a deal. He makes a promise. He makes a contract with you. And he says, 
in, in this contract, I want you to know me as the God who provides for you. And so what happens is this. How many of you know that contracts that get forgotten stay there? You might have an inheritance that you don't even know about. Because you've forgotten about it, you're not able to apply what's yours. And this is what happens with a lot of the covenant names of God. God gives them to you, but if you stick them in a drawer, you forget about it. You're not able to confess and pull into your life and appropriate that God is your provider. Jehovah Rapha, just put them all up because I'm not going to get through them all, but you can take a photo and, uh, and put it on your iPhone or whatever. Sandra spent a lot of time putting this together, so we don't want you to lose it. Jehovah Rapha, my healer. Some of you need to get hold of the covenant name of God, my healer. He's my healer. He heals me from every single disease. That's his name, Yahweh Rapha, Jehovah Rapha, my healer. And so if you're going through sickness, I'd be confessing it every day. I'd be going to my spiritual drawer, pulling out the covenant name of God and saying, God, you made a promise with me in Exodus chapter 15, verse 26. And you said in Exodus 15, 26, that you are my healer. You are my healer. So that's what I am appropriating, the promises of God. I'm going to encourage myself because the devil says, you're going to die. This sickness is unto death. You are going to, you're going to suffer. You're going down. You're going to be miserable. Or another word, you're going to die all alone and nobody will care. Come on, that's a lie of the devil. You've got to expose his lies and say, devil, you're a liar. My God says that he's my healer. Jehovah Nissi, the Lord who's my victory, the Lord my banner, who's, who, who leads me into victory. You say, but man, haven't you got a fight on? Yeah, I've got a fight on, but the promise of God is that I'm going to win the fight because he's my victory. He's going to cause me to be victorious. Man, I tell you, that foul giant of discouragement, that Jebusite spirit starts to manifest when you start speaking like that. He's saying, you are destroying all of my strategies of discouragement. I say, yes. Yeah, come on. See, some of you, this past week, you've been listening to the Jebusite spirit. He's been in your ear. Just telling you how hopeless your situation is, how terrible your situation is, how you're going to fail, how you're going to fall, how this is the end, how this is finished, how this is terrible, how this is shocking. And you've come to church today to be encouraged. I'm telling you what a wonderful thing it is to be encouraged in the presence of God because God says, "Uh uh-uh, the enemy hasn't got the last word. I've got the last word. All these things that have come against you, they shall fall. But the living God, he is your victory. He will cause you to triumph. Come on. Can anybody say amen to that? Anyway, second thing. The word of God. Have you got them all up there? You've taken the photos. What, what's 6, 7, 8, 9, and 10? You've got Jehovah Tikkunu, which is the Lord who's my righteousness. He makes me righteous, not in my laws or my strength, but he imparts to me righteousness. Through the blood of Jesus Christ, I am cleansed. And when the enemy wants to come and tell me what a filthy, rotten, miserable, no good, filthy sinner I am and how hopeless I am, I just confess that the Lord is my righteousness. He makes me righteous. Uh, I love Jehovah Raha, who's my shepherd. Um, uh, Jehovah Sabah, the God of war. I love this one. The God of war. The God who is the God of war. I know I've put there the Lord of hosts, but you better understand the God of war. 
the Lord of hosts. In other words, he's leading the army. The hosts is the army of God, the Lord of hosts. And that's what the Bible translates. But probably in our language today, it's the God of war. He's got the hosts of heaven all armored to their, to their back teeth around him. And there he stands in front of them to go into battle for you. How many of you need the Lord to go into battle for you? How many of you are facing some battles right now and you need, come on, I'm telling you, I'm preaching myself happy this morning. My only problem is my time is up, but that's all right because I'm going to go into the next service already with a steam of fire and, uh, and moving forward. These are the awesome names of God. Jehovah Elohim, the supreme God. Jehovah Shammah, the Lord who is there. He's always there. He's never away. He's never on holidays. He's never absent without leave. He's always there. Where you are, He is there. And when you go into a situation, you're not alone. The Lord who is there, Yahweh Shammah, is with you. How awesome is that? Can anybody say amen to that? Very quickly, you can come forward. Sophia, Sean, both of you, you overcome discouragement by the Word of God. You overcome discouragement by the Spirit of God. And I can do a whole series on the Spirit of God being the, the, the Spirit of encouragement. See, the Spirit of prophecy is the Spirit of encouragement. Not discouragement, but encouragement. It's so important that we understand that Jesus called the Holy Spirit the parakletos. The one who comes alongside us to encourage us, to comfort us, to help us. That's the name of the Holy Spirit, parakletos, the comforter. The old King James translates it as the comforter, the one who draws alongside to encourage, to bless us, to say, come on, I believe in you. I believe in you. I believe in you. You know, I had someone in my office the other day, and I said to them, I believe in you. And this person contacted me and said, you know what, I just can't get those words out of my head. This is the first time that a pastor has ever said to me, I believe in you. And I was so touched by that word because I do. I literally do believe in what God's placed upon your life. I believe in you. I believe that God's anointing is upon you. And see, when you prophesy over people, you build them up. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 3, that prophecy is about edification, exhortation, comfort. It's about building people up. So the spirit of prophecy is to build somebody up. Come on, when you come together as a church, have a prophecy for somebody. And it builds them up and they feel encouraged. Why is that? Because some people are just being attacked every single day by the enemy. And the third way to get encouragement, the Word of God, the Spirit of God, the Church of God. You need the Church of God. Guys, don't you be tricked by the enemy that says, pull away from the church. Or you can worship God just as well at home as with the church. No, you can't. When you're at home, you are by yourself, baby. And when you're by yourself, you're easy pickings for the enemy. When you're with the church, you have the opportunity of others surrounding you, others speaking into your life, others building you up. God, God just wants to build you up today. God wants to do something incredibly powerful in your life. My, my time is up. I've, I've just got to finish by saying this. There's three words, three words that define our church at the moment. We've got an armband with these three words on it. We've got, we've got a fridge magnet 
with these three words on it. Who can tell me what these three words are? God's got it. God's got it. Whatever you're facing right now, God's got it. Whatever is the war that you've walked into, God's got it. Whatever opposition you're facing right now, God's got it. Whatever is causing your knees to tremble and your heart to faint, God's got it. God's got your situation. He'll never leave you or forsake you. He's the God, Shema, who was always there. He's got this. What you're going through is a temporary hitch. It's a temporary hitch. God's going to see you through. You are permanent. Your trial isn't. You are permanent. Your problem isn't. You are permanent. Your challenge isn't. And you as a child of God will see it through. And that thing, ta-ta, it'll be in the past, never to be seen again. But you and God are going to live in victory forever and ever. I want you right now to say to that trial that's, that's, that's causing you heartache, ta-ta. Say, ta-ta. Ta-ta. You will be in my past, but God is here and in my future forever. And I have been destined to live in victory. Can anybody say amen to that? Hallelujah. Come on. If you're going to give the Lord a clap, give him a great one. Thank you, Jesus. Do you know, I just want you to, I want you to see a picture. I just want you to close your eyes. I want you to see, close your eyes. I want you to see a ship in the storm. Just begin to see a ship in the storm. And the waves are breaking over the top of the ship and it's, 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 it's in peril. What I want you to do is to go up to the wheelhouse to where the steering is. As you go to the wheelhouse, I want to ask you a question. Who is steering the ship? Because if it's the enemy, this ship, this ship is going to sink. But if it's Jesus, you'll see that he's got a smile on his face. And he'll turn to you and say, I've got this. We're going to steer this ship out of the storm into calm waters. Then I want you just to go back to your bunk, put your head down and go back to sleep because God's got this. The ship ain't going to sink if Jesus is the captain. If Jesus is the captain, Max, your ship ain't going to sink. Might be in a storm, but it ain't going to sink. Ain't going to sink. Sometimes what we need to do is go to the wheelhouse and see who's the captain of this ship. Who's the captain of this ship? Who's the captain of your ship today? Is it Jesus? Is it Jesus? Because if Jesus is the captain, your ship isn't going to sink. Your ship's not going to go down. Jesus is the captain. He's going to take the ship into the beautiful still water. This is a temporary storm. He's got this. He's got this in control. Come on. I just want you to put your hand on your heart. I want you to say, Lord Jesus, 
I thank you that you're in control. Thank you that you're in control of my situation. Thank you that you're in control of my family. And right now I rest in your peace. I thank you, Lord, that you're going to see me through. And I'll come through the other end with a testimony. My test will produce a great testimony in Jesus' name. Thanks for choosing to listen to the Life Source Christian Church Audio Lounge. If you like this week's podcast, then please share it with a friend. More information about who we are is available at lifesource.org.au. On behalf of Senior Ministers John and Ann Giuliano, we look forward to connecting with you next time at the Life Source Christian Church Audio Lounge.